So, um, I, once again, I was reminded, and I, I, re- I reference this regularly, but I just have to say again, this was another one of those weeks where I got to be somewhere else, um, uh, worshiping with a different group of believers, and, uh, and being reminded again of how much I appreciate the leadership here that John and his team uh, leads us with. And uh, this time, it wasn't even that much competition, honestly. It was... Uh, there was a tele, I almost said televangelist. He came across that way, um, screaming into a microphone. We were, I was um, in Mexico and we were there on a Wednesday night and it was, I'll reference this again, but um, he didn't need the microphone at all, but he was yelling into the microphone as well. There was only like 12 of us there. And so, um, and at some point he broke into song. And so that was the closest thing we had to worship that night was him yelling a song into the microphone. Um, and on top of that, he was like speaking in tongues or something. I couldn't understand hardly anything he said. Um, I was in Mexico. That was a, he was speaking Spanish. So, wow, that, that just died. I mean, uh, I did better in the first service. Come on, Is this thing on. Um, okay, so, um, so here's one of the, this, this, that song reminds me and is a great foundation as we're talking about, so we are, we are wrapping up the conversation of um, a capital campaign, which uh, you know, it's one of those things that, that I had to do some research on. E- even though I was at Pine Cove for years and was involved in the budget there and we did capital campaigns, that really wasn't the main part of, of my job. Um, so I was involved in that stuff, but, but um, I had to learn something about that conversation. And so being reminded once again, of course, that, that everything we do in a church setting, everything we do for Jesus Christ is, is actually just Him giving us the opportunity to grow up. Um, for him to give us the opportunity to grow and change and be conformed to the image of his son. And, and it doesn't make any difference. Like, so this time, like a few months ago, it was going through a church transition or, or looking at bylaws or it was, um, you know, just how to, how to do, run Sunday mornings or all those different things. All those are, are opportunities for us to grow. We, we are what is eternal with him. Uh, the church, capital T, capital C, is eternal, but not this church. Um, there will come a day when, when God will judge the world and, and these, these buildings and this property, as beautiful as they are, will be scorched clean and God will create a new heaven and a new earth. And, and so the reminder that that's what we're investing in is in eternity. Oh yeah, this is yet again Jesus conforming us to his image. And so as I'm reminded of that, it makes talking about money and that kind of stuff a whole lot easier. That, that money, once again, is really just the periphery. It's just the tool God is using right now to grow us up to mature us in his son. And so it's part of the conversation. That's fine. That, that doesn't bother me so much. We'll get there. But one of the things that, that blows me away is, again, looking at that song, the reminder yet again that what we give out of, no matter what we're giving, time, energy, skill, talent, financial resources, money, what, I mean, is always out of the overage of what he has given us. Um, that's, that's all we're giving. And so there's nothing... Again, reminding of that and, and singing about the fact that he has forgiven us, his blood has paid, therefore we can forgive, for example. Um, my, my grandparents and my parents are very wise with money, and they've, they've made great financial decisions pretty much my whole life. And my grandparents, their retirement gift to themselves was to pay off my parents' mortgage. And so when they retired, they, they took some of their retirement and paid off my parents' mortgage. Well, that's how that works. When... So whatever it is that, that you don't have the equity, that you don't have the margin, that you don't have the whatever to accomplish in the kingdom, 
Whatever that is, that you feel like that is the case, that all of us, this big debt that we owe, the big debt that we owe Almighty God for being rebellious sinners, the big debt that we owe for how we have mistreated each other and and whatever it is, those have all been covered. And so someone paid that. So the biggest debt that we owe every month, we suddenly don't owe anymore. Like it's, it's gone. It's wiped clean. So that's what gives us the equity to forgive others. That's what gives us the equity to then say, oh, well, since God has forgiven this massive debt, I guess I can forgive these little ones. And so that's, I mean, as an example, that's kind of how my parents looked at it that as an investment. My, my dad continued to write a mortgage check every month. He just made it to Merrill Lynch rather than to, my, to the mortgage company. And then they are, they're generous people. They love to give and support and help. And it's one of the cool things about hanging out with them down in Mexico because they do a lot of that. Everything we talk about in regards to resources is always comes back to the fact that we are his, it is his, I am his, you are his, and he will declare that in the end. And we've either lived a life that, that appreciated that truth or we didn't. And so hopefully we're living, we all want to live a life according to the truth, and the truth is, whatever he gave us, you're going to see this. King David writes about this in a beautiful way that we're going to see this later. Or references this. Um, it, is, it is generosity that he has given us. And, and on that note, I want to actually throw out there, do a little uh, housekeeping, a couple of things. One is, I want to make sure you know, because um, some of you need this, not just the children. There's a children's bulletin back there. Um, if you need uh, something to kind of keep you targeted on the sermon, you can grab that, no matter how old you are. It's, honestly, we won't make fun of you if you jump up and grab one right now. I mean, I'll, I'll barely even point you out if you need to go get a children's worship bulletin. It may help you. The crossword puzzle is pretty good. Pretty good. I've already, already looked at it. So the, um, and also, um, you also get a bulletin just has some information. One of the things that reads do that is it has the leader's emails back there. If you have any questions or anything you need to engage with in regards to the church, that's a great way to do it. And as I understand it, Saul Cerritos gives you like a 10% discount if you bring in your bulletin. So, I mean, hey, no extra charge for that. So that's a, we do our part. We print the bulletin. They give you the, the discount. want to let you know about that. Lastly, little housekeeping thing for you is, um, hey, how, some of you come on Wednesday night and you come to the dinners and stuff that have been done for years and years and years here. Um, that is a tough, tough job. And the people who have been leading that charge, now there's a whole group of people who serve in that, the people who have been leading that charge who cover the logistics and stuff are stopping at the end of this semester. And so, They've got other things going on in their lives, and they need to be able to focus on those. And so Christy um, has done a great job of really blessing the church and leading that. Before her, um, Nair um, did that, and before that, Karen did that, and, and so others have done that. But um, it's huge. It's a big job. It's huge. Am I right, Nate? Big job. Um, we, we, like 400 people, get served dinner on Wednesday night. It is totally fine if w- what we do starting in the spring is everybody bring your own picnic, like you should come at 5.30, stop somewhere, grab something, go buy someplace like Salsaritas and get something. I'm not really advertising for them. I don't know why I just mentioned them again. That's a, because I can't think quickly on my feet on stuff like that. So, um, but you get a 10% discount on the bulletin. So if you, uh, if you do, I'm not like invested or anything. Like Now they're like, does he own stock? Anyway, but that's a, that, and it's totally fine with me. If we gather together in fellowship and, and you just bring your own stuff and we sit around those tables and eat and hang out and all that kind of stuff. But if someone wants to take the lead in that, you need to let us know quickly because 
We need to get you signed up to start shadowing with them and seeing what all that takes. Um, so just let us know if that's you, if you want to do that someday, if that's what you want to give in regards to your gifting and your skills and your talents and that kind of stuff and your overage. Um, so as a, as a um, trained as a counselor and that kind of stuff, there are topics and coming up through youth ministry, there actually are topics that I'm comfortable with that other people aren't. And even me just saying that phrase, my wife's already nervous about where I'm going to go next. Like, she knows well enough, like her eyes get big, and she gets that windblown look that tells me I've now crossed over into something that is not normal conversation um, that I don't know anymore. Because as a therapist, you talk about the most amazing stuff, um, let me just tell you. Um, but that being said, what I am not, what I am less comfortable with is talking about finances, is talking about money. Not my own, fine with that, with telling people, listen, we need to pool our resources. And so a capital campaign is awkward for me. Um, it probably is for many of you as well which is fine. We're just all in the same boat together, if that's the case, which is also fine given that we are the we who need us to give money to the same place so that we can bless the next generation of people God sends here. And that's one thing that struck me through this whole process is technically, although it's a little, it's a little shady some weeks, we have enough room for our kids right now. So if we just shut the doors, it's like no new people. We, we could continue to pull off children's ministry the way we're doing it right now. What we are investing in, if you want to be a part of the capital campaign to give towards, and you want to make a commitment, and my prayer is that every single member will. Um, since Mount doesn't matter, every single member can. Um, that that would be something that you would do. That's not for our kids. Because our kids have a place right now. It is for whoever's coming next that we're saying, we don't want them to run into the at-capacity sign when they show up. It is for the guests of the future. It is for the families that we think God's probably still going to send us that we're doing this. And it is an us thing. It is all of us saying we're coming together and do this because we believe this is the right thing to do, and we believe we want to move forward with that. Once I'm reminded of things like that, I can talk about it again. And then going to Scripture and talking about it. I will say next Sunday, so you need to know this for the sake of you know, your kids, you've got to decide how what you want to do with this. Um, but I, I'm going to teach next week on what the Bible says about suicide. Um, and so, and, and I'm going to go through the biblical passages and discuss this. It is a topic that has hit our community hard over the last few months. By the way, it's always hitting every community hard every few months. But there's been some, some pretty public stuff in regards to some kids and stuff in, in Tyler over the last few months. Um, and, and so we're going to have that conversation next week. Sunday. So if you know someone who needs to come and hear what the Bible has to say about that, bring them. Ironically, I am more comfortable teaching a sermon on suicide than I am on a, that, that is connected to capital campaigns. So going to Scripture and discussing this, what Josie talked about, really this is about investment. It is just another way of saying, where are we going to invest? How are we going to invest? And so the good news is looking at the Bible, I found that there are a number of, number of capital campaigns in the Bible. Um, the first one, I'm not going to spend much time on. It's in the New Testament, and it is Paul traveling from church to church um, in uh, the different, um, especially in the, what we would call today the Saudi Arabian Peninsula and Turkey and those areas. And, and he's going from church to church, gathering resources to take back to Jerusalem in order to take care of the church in Jerusalem. Now, that's, that's his goal, and he travels from church to church. There is a lot of cool stuff in that. I'm not going to focus on that one because we talked about that. Pike and I talked about that a few months ago. 
you can go to the website, which at this point is still fbctyler.org South Campus. Um, in the next month or so, it will shift over to a new website. But right now you go there and you can see, you can go down and find it from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 about what God's attitude is that he teaches us through Scripture about giving there. I'm going to look at a couple of others. In the Hebrew Scripture, there's a couple of different ones. One is Moses communicating to the people about giving to the tabernacle. So let me make sure you understand that. So at the time, Moses is leading the people to wander in the desert for 40 years. They were, and you'll remember this from your social studies class in sixth grade, they were nomads, meaning they didn't set cities. They didn't build cities. This wasn't some weird thing. That was actually relatively common. Um, In fact, it still is in that part of the world. There still are nomadic peoples. Let me drive around and you look, and they're called the Bedouins, and Bedouins are nomads. They, they pick up and move regularly, um, and everything they have can be easily torn down, picked up, and moved. Um, and so they go from place to place. Still to this day, some of them do. And so it's not odd. So dear, when, the, when the people of Israel spent 40 years wandering around in the wilderness, that wasn't because they were lost. They knew where they were, and they knew where they wanted to go. And it wasn't because it took 40 years to travel from this location to this location. 40 days would have been enough to travel between those two locations. It was because, due to their disobedience, God had proclaimed they weren't going to stop and live in cities. They were going to have to wander around. So they wandered around for 40 years, kind of in big circles, apparently, um, in the deserts of Negev. That's the, the desert that's down there, the wilderness that's down there. Um, those who are going this year, where uh, the plan is for us to actually see a, an actual reconstructed um, tabernacle that is in the desert out there, that's in the wilderness out there. That's the plan, is for us to go actually see a, an exact or close to exact replica of it. Um, so again, if you've got a little extra time on your hands and a little extra money, I think there's a couple of spaces left um, to get a part of that. Now, um, so that's what's going on. But when, when Moses, God told Moses, he was ready for Moses to build this tabernacle. And just a, that's just a big word for big tent, by the way. Huge tent. So Moses comes to the people and he spends about 10 chapters telling them what God told him he needs. I mean, 10, pretty close to 10 chapters. Just going to need this, going to need this, going to need this, going to need this. God says he wants this. God says he wants this. It's a very lengthy, specific description. The same thing will happen with the temple, which we now know because of the book of Hebrews, that both of them are kind of models. They're models of what God's throne room and facilities look like in heaven. So again, how that exactly plays out is pretty cool. Um, it's a little bit beyond all of us, but, but it's still a cool concept that God sets this up, and he's gonna, he asks for Moses and the people to build him a tabernacle. That's where we're going, laying the groundwork there. And then we're in Exodus 35. I said 25 last hour, but it's Exodus 35. Listen to how the people respond to this. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women. All who were of a willing heart brought brooches, and earrings, and signet rings, and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarn or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. Every skillful woman... Someone will stop there. Notice the universality, the unity of the people 
to give to this. Now, the other thing you can notice in the midst of this is the diversity of what they gave. That is a picture of the church. That's why it's so applicable in this day and age, that it shows diversity and yet unity. Those are not contradictory concepts. In this situation, that's what you have. It's an amazing picture of God saying, listen, I am going to provide this. So think about, where did they get this stuff? These people had been slaves for 400 years. I mean, generation after generation after generation of slaves. They had nothing. So where did all of this, those who gave gold, gave gold. Some people gave wood. Some people gave these fine ram skins. Other people, goat skins. And so some people had a lot of cool, good, awesome, top-notch, high-quality stuff. Some people had some acacia wood. Whatever they had that was appropriate for the situation, they gave. Large amounts, small amounts. Notice that the amount doesn't seem to be what's impressive. It is the unity and the diversity that is impressive about this. Everyone gave. Their hearts were stirred, so they did. I like that. I think that's a cool picture that, that everyone can say, listen, this is what I've got. It's what I appreciated about what well, one of the people who, um, who is coaching us through this conversation um, as we've been talking about it is that the, the stories they told at the leadership, if you were at some of the leadership meetings about it, they told stories of diversity, some people giving large amounts, some people giving tiny amounts. It was irrelevant to the conversation and by God, it should be irrelevant to the conversation. That's not what this is about. The money is in the periphery. It is not what counts. It is the spiritual exercise that God is working out in us. Again, we'll get back to that in a second. So where'd they get this stuff? Where would a bunch of poor slaves get any of this? Do you remember? Group participation. Yeah. They, they ransacked Egypt when they left. They literally, as they were leaving, they stopped and knocked on the Egyptians' doors and said, Hey, you got any stuff to give me when I'm leaving? The Egyptians, who had, been, who had been made wealthy off the power of the back of their slaves, they were so crushed. God had so utterly defeated the Egyptian people. He had so destroyed even their morale that they were like, Listen, take it. Just leave. Get away from us. We don't want your God thinking of us as enemies one moment longer. Here's some gold. What do I have? And they were giving it. The people of the, the Hebrew people, by the way, had no use for it. I mean, what were they going to do for it? They're wandering around in the middle of nothing. What do, you, what do you do with your gold brooch out there? Like, hey, uh, this is nice out here in the desert where I have no place to trade it or spend it or use it, and I don't even want to wear it, right? No, God was setting up a situation where the people of Israel were getting something that He gave them through the might of His hand that they were then going to be able to give the opportunity to worship. Now listen to this. So not just the giving of, but this is, it even gets better. Um, and every, verse 25, And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and the breastpiece. And spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrance incense. All the men and the women, the people of Israel whose hearts moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering. That, that is a cool picture. I just I, Every time I, I read that and I think of all these people 
who are, they cannot wait to give in that setting. They are excited to be a part of what God is doing in this. They gave of what they had. And here's what's neat. So God gave them this stuff. They didn't work for it. God gave them all of this stuff from the Egyptians. Then they invested it. They applied their talents, their gifts to it. They carved the wood. They, they put together the twine. They, they did these things to bring it all together in new forms, and then it was able to be used. If that unfollow the parable that we talked about last week, where God gives something to his people, and then, and then in the parable, the master gives it to them to invest, he goes off to claim his kingdom, and comes back and says, what do you got for me? This is a beautiful picture of it. The people are inspired to give back from what God has given them. So I, I love it. Now, but that's not my favorite one. That's not my favorite capital campaign in the Bible. My favorite one is King David. Now, that's, that's not odd. I really like David. Um, there's a few reasons why I really like David. And so if, if you read the Chronicles passages, the Chronicles read, the passages about David, read like a biography that, say, a president would have consigned for his own life. David comes across as pretty much just an awesome guy in the Chronicles. He's a good leader. Um, uh, he, he's, he's strong. He's, he's savvy. He's, he's a good guy. He's, he's, not, he's not too out of the box. He's just a good, strong, king, leader, godly man. But, but what the chronic, so that's what the chronicler writes in the Chronicles. But So just like a president might have a, 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 a um, what do they call those? Authorized, an authorized biography, right? This is, so the president has authorized a biography of himself. What the president doesn't authorize is the biography that like the head of his secret service writes, right? The head of the secret service or the person who carries the nuclear football or something like that sounds like, you know what? I think I'm going to write a biography on this guy's presidency. And somehow it never turns out to be a lot like the authorized one, right? Well, that's Samuel. Samuel, the prophet, judge, priest, he writes a biography of David that we, that we find in First and Second Samuel. And his is not so neat and clean. It totally, it matches very, very well with Chronicles. It just has a few stories that the chronicler conveniently left out. And it shows David to be a real, live human being, not just a hero. And I love that about the Bible. It's one of the reasons I have confidence in our scriptures. Is that if it just portrayed guys like David as a guy who could do no wrong, it would make me dubious. Because that's not how people are. David was a real, life human being who did some awful things, some terrible things. Um, I mean, he managed to break all 10 of the commandments in about a six-month period. It's like he's out to break them. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an awful, dark period in his life. And we see often him make brutal decisions. And he comes to God out of the, kind of out of the blue, honestly. <clears throat> he just suddenly says, you know what, God? It doesn't make any sense. Actually, it goes to Nathan, the prophet, to say this. It doesn't make any sense that I live in this fine palace and God still dwells in a tent. So here we are all these years later and God still has a tabernacle, a tent. And David now has a palace. And David's kind of embarrassed about this. Um, why this suddenly struck David, we don't know. He just suddenly was drawn to his attention. By the way, um, for a long time, this was not only was this palace that David had mythical, but David himself was considered mythical. He was similar to Robin Hood or King Arthur. If you read archaeology, secular archaeology materials from you know, 100 years ago, they really are dubious that there ever was a King David. And then, of course, they started finding evidence of King David. Um, and then some really brilliant archaeologists decided to dig where it seemed like David's palace should be in the Bible. And lo and behold, she discovered a palace. 
um, a big stone palace, and it is, still, it is stacked rocks, and they are still digging stacked rocks. Um, they are, they'll be digging this up for decades. Uh, it's, it's a massive palace right there in the middle of the city of David. What a, what a fascinating place for David's palace to be, right? No one never struck anybody to dig there before, but it's a, so they did uncover this. Sure enough, it's, it's amazing. That is, that's the King David, and David says, God, I want to build you a palace, and, and God and Nathan, God and David have a, no, David and Nathan have a conversation. Nathan and God have a conversation. God and David have a conversation. In the end, God says, you know what? You're not the man for the job. Now, I always imagine this to be a blow to David for God to say, you know what? You're not, you're not the man for the job. I'm not going to have you build my temple. It's, it, God is pretty gentle about it, but God, God kind of says his, his, what he hints at is, You've made your kingdom based on blood. And David had. Not only the blood of his enemies, but sometimes the blood of his friends. In one case, the blood of one of his 30 picked, hand-picked bodyguards who lived so close to the palace that David could see his wife bathing on the rooftop. And so, this is a dark thing. And David and God tells David, you're not the man. I'm not letting you build a temple for me. I don't know how heartbroken David was, but in the end, David recovers from the heartbreak and says, because God says, your son will be the one who builds my temple, the thing that will become known as Solomon's temple. God is, I mean, David is apparently comforted enough by this that what he then does is he starts a capital campaign to gather the resources so that Solomon will have them in hand to build a temple. There you go. So I've laid the background. Hopefully you're ready for it. Listen to the attitude. He goes to the leaders and the people of Israel, and says, we're going to build a temple. We're going to need a lot of stuff. And here's the response to David being told he gets to build, he gets to gather the resources for his son, for his son to build a temple. First Chronicles 29, 13, and 14. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. And you are exalted above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand is to make great and give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Listen to verse 14. We got it? But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. So I had this experience, this, this, if, you don't, if, you can't, if you don't see this written into this passage. So we, we get down there, my, or my parents invited Mark and I to come down um, to spend our, our little vacation with them in Mexico. And we get down there, and of course, I, I did not exchange any dollars for pesos. Um, because I don't think to do things like that. And so we get down there, and, and we get there, and Dad says, do you have any pesos? Do you get any pesos? I'm like, no, I totally forgot. And he goes, well, here. So he pulls out a wad of pesos, which are like 19 of them for a dollar now, and he, he hands me a bunch of pesos. And so I've got them in my pocket. Well, a day or two later, they start, my dad needs pesos for something. He's like, oh, I, I didn't bring my wallet. Do you have any, do you have any pesos? I'm like, well, actually, yeah, here, here's some pesos. And he goes, good, I'll pay you back. And I was like, no, no. It's your pesos. Like, I, I know it's yours. Like, I have not gotten any. There's no doubt. This is your money that you gave me. Like, you don't, you don't need to pay me back for your money. Like, um, that's, it's not mine in the first place. Notice David's attitude on this. 
Who are we that we get to do this? What a cool attitude to have about giving. So, so God says, you know what? Rather than me just snapping my fingers and creating a building, which he can do, apparently doesn't do that, didn't even do it back then. He could have done that. Wouldn't that have made, the, in some ways, made a lot of sense for God to say, new mountain, new temple, mine. But instead, he allows all of these people to be invested in the process, which only slows him down. I mean, our main job is being under his feet when he's trying to accomplish stuff, but he lets us be in. And David gets that in ways that I have a hard time wrapping my brain around. No, no. You know what? I love you so much. I'm going to let you be involved in what I'm doing. Who am I and what is my people that we should be able to offer willingly? This is one of the things that I hate the most about the health and wealth teaching. That I give and God's going to give back to me. Like, this is how this works, right? I give God $1, he gives me back $100. That's how it works. And you hear people preach that all the time. As if I need an incentive to give my $1 beyond the fact that I am humbled by the fact that God will accept my puny dollar. That he's, he's nice enough to accept it rather than be insulted by it. I mean, that's, we, we've talked about heaven and the new Jerusalem. That's why we can't take anything with us. It makes no sense. There's nothing he needs. The new Jerusalem is walled with walls of crystal, maybe diamond, 250 feet thick. The, the streets are paved with, with gold so pure it's transparent. What are we going to bring with us? When we died, what are we, if God said, listen, you can bring any of your treasures to me. He has crystal and diamond walls that are 250 feet thick. You're going to bring your diamond? You got a really big one? That's 1,500 miles tall and 250 feet thick? What's the carrot count on that? We got any jewelers in the room? What's going to be impressive to him? You're going to bring a big old bag of gold? You're going to bring that big old bag and have the angel who's standing at the gate go, Oh, what'd you bring? Like, I brought some gold. Like, good, because we got a pothole over on Hallelujah Avenue and... And, and, but here's, here's the problem. Then he's gonna, you're going to go like, go good, because I brought some. You can fill the pot on. He's going to open up the bag and go like, oh, ooh. we don't use that junky gold here to fill potholes. I mean, it's, it's refuge material there. Anything we would bring, God doesn't need it. David gets this. Who am I that I get to be invested in this? Who am I? This is one of Pike's last sermons he preached before focusing downtown and being down there. He, he mentioned the fact that, that the apostle Matthew in his own gospel Reference, when he lists the, lists the apostles, he lists himself as Matthew the tax collector. You realize tax collectors were scum of the earth. There was nothing more shameful than being a, literally maybe nothing more shameful than being a tax collector at that time. And yet Matthew lists himself as a tax collector in his own book. Because he, I believe, he was right, I believe he is so humbled by the fact that God would use him, Matthew, the tax collector. How often does the apostle Paul seem to be stunned by the fact that God chose him? blown out of his mind that we get the chance to do that. All we have comes from you. Out of your own is what we're giving you, David says. Here's another interesting touch. So the leaders of the father's house of the father's houses made their free will offerings. Um, I'm in 1 Chronicles 29, 6 now. As did the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of the thousands and hundreds, and the officers. And they gave, and it lists that, that they gave a lot, a, a fortune. The people rejoiced because the leaders had given so willingly. I don't, I don't know where you are. If you are a member, um, hopefully we will have 100% of our members say, like, I want to be involved in this. I can only do this, but that's what I want to be involved. I can do this. I want to... Great. 
But here, here's, let, be encouraged. This is the model we followed. So we went to the leaders in the church first. And by we, I mean we, all of us, went to one another. Went to the, and I don't mean just the financial leaders. I mean the Sunday school teachers. I mean the, the deacons, the, the leaders in any role. And we went to them and said, hey, would you like to commit first? And, and those leaders who did commit first already, have already committed over one and a half million dollars to this project over the next three years. So, so if you're not one of the leaders yet, Lord willing, you will be in time. But know that the leaders have stepped out and said, you know what, we believe in this. This is real. This matters. So just like with David's leaders, the leaders have led. Why do we do this? So what parable? See, I told you I was going to do a parable every week. So what parable? Let me get it real quick. He was teaching many things in parables, it says, Mark says in Mark chapter 4. And his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell on the path, and birds came and devoured it, and other seed fell on rocky ground. Or didn't have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. The idea here is... We are called to invest what God has given us, like a, uh, like a sower, like a gardener, like someone who's planting. That's what we're called to do. We talked about that the last few weeks. Whatever it is that God has given us, what we are called is to invest that in eternity. Now, the warning that God tells us up front, this is what Jesus is telling his disciples. You may have been to sermons or teachers who tried to parse out which of these people were really Christians and which ones weren't which please don't do that. That is, that is not what this parable is about. Jesus is making a very clear point. Remember, parables have typically one main point. If you grew up um, on like Mother Goose tales and moral stories and stuff like that, like I did, they even sometimes had that. Remember at the end of the story, the moral of the story is, right? Like the, for the fox and the, the sour grapes story, right? That kind of thing. Yes? No? Okay, some of you. Um, but whatever they are, they have this moral. Like be happy with what you got. That's a, that's a moral. So, so this, this is a, this, this concept of there's a moral to each of these parables. In this one, it is, when you invest the good news, you're going to get different responses. That's the, that's the purpose here. Understand, when you invest, you're going to get different responses. And you're not in control of that. When Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, God incarnate on earth, Jesus of Nazareth, when He spread the good news of the gospel... So good gospel is just a church word for good news. When he spread the good news of the kingdom, these are the different responses that he got. So, of course, we're going to get different responses. What sets apart the good soil? So how do we then apply making sure we are some of the good soil? How do we apply that? How do, we want to have a certain response. Notice that the good soil stays on target. It stays focused. The good soil, which we want to be, we want to be the reproductive soil. That's us. It reproduces. Some hear, but their hold is so weak that Satan is able to come and steal it, Jesus tells his disciples. Others hear it, and their shallowness means that when trials come, they can't support the gospel in their lives anymore, and it dies. Some hear, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, they're distracted. Promise of other things, and they lose it. But one group has total focus. Their focus is they are not distracted. They are not taken out by trials. 
They hold fast when Satan grasps at what God has given them. They stay on target. God has ministry for you. He has ministry places for you to invest and be involved. I, I promise you, I'm 100% confident. And when you put your faith in Christ, one of the things he will do is bring to life the spirit in you that will begin to hopefully focus in and learn and grow and invest in things that, inve- that, that have an impact forever and ever. There's only one God. Nothing else counts. We step out for the one. The devotion creates the reproduction in us. Jesus, Jesus follows up in Luke 14. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said, If anyone comes to, to me and does not hate, there's a little bit of a euphemism there. I don't think he literally, Jesus doesn't call us to hate. He means relative to our devotion to him. To hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Which of you desiring to build a tower does not sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? I'm going to jump down to verse 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's his not ours. Last week I cited um, one, from Dr., one of Dr. Powell's books, um, a story about John D. Rockefeller, who I imagine most of you know was a really rich man, um, was a really rich man. So Rockefeller allegedly said at one point to a pastor, if a man can show me how I can do something good with my money, I think he's doing me a favor. I, I, I totally appreciate that. When someone is able to tell me, this is a good place to invest your time, your money, your energy, there is return on this. There's great return on this. They're doing me a favor. That's, that's what I think. So here's my, here's my recommendation. I wrote this all by myself. You ready? Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves don't break in and steal. For your treasure is, their heart will be also. Okay, I didn't really write that. Um, not to drop names or anything, but Jesus said that. So let me, give you, I'll, let me give you some application. Where do you invest to have the biggest impact? First, invest in your family. Invest in your wife. Invest in your husband. They are eternal. One way or another, they are a first ministry for you. They are, they are where you invest. They are his sons and his daughters. Invest wisely in them. Next, invest in your children and in other people's children. They are eternal. This is important stuff. If you can't tell, there's an alarm going off to tell you that. <laughs> invest in your children. They are eternal. A million years from now, they will be somewhere living out the eternity. That's, that's vital. Invest in these children. Invest in your family, invest in your spouse, invest in your children and other people's children. God requires us to invest in them. They are His. Invest in what God is doing in other people and in you. Invest in forever. So I know I've got some bankers in the room. Y'all can check my my numbers on this. If you invest in something forever, the interest rate doesn't really matter. Yes? That work out? All the bankers in the room? Like, if the interest rate is low... And what you're investing is actually relatively small, but it gathers interest for eternity. The return is going to eventually work out in your favor, right? I'm, I'm just a psychologist and a preacher. I don't, I don't, 
I don't do math, but I think that works out. If you, if you think giving to the endeavor of this, of this capital campaign that we're working on, again, for members in particular, if you believe it will accomplish good things in the kingdom and will work out to be an investment in eternity, an investment in heaven, then I invite all of us to be a part of it. If you have not put down a commitment, I hope you've been praying about it if you're a member. Again, for those of you who are guests today, go with the eternal aspects of this. The application of investing in this specific campaign is for our members. There will be some people, I think, at the back of the room. Is that, is that how we ended up working out? Okay, in the back of the room. And then you can, you can put a commitment card. If you don't have one, they'll give you one. If there's a, a whatever. If you think that creating good space to educate the hordes of children that God continues to send our way, to train them up to be ministers in His kingdom for eternity, if you think that's a good investment, like I do, I believe it is a good investment. So I'm playing the role of the person to say, I think this is a good place for us to invest. Um, my hope is for 100% membership involvement. Um, God appreciates our devotion and our faith. Here's the way I would say it in closing. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and any sympathy, then please complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full, of cord, full accord and one mind. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you give us the opportunity to be involved in what you're doing. Um, it shows such generosity and patience and forbearance on your part that you let us be involved. I pray we would have the attitude that David did, that you give us the chance to give back from what you've given us because we don't have anything of our own. It's all yours. I pray you would help us to remember that it's all yours, not something for us to hoard or hold on to, but something for us to invest our time, our energy, um, our talents, our skills, just our presence and our love God, I pray that you would teach us how to invest that wisely. Of all of the things that we can invest, really in some ways, Lord, money is the easy one. I pray that you would help us to invest in eternity and that there would come a day when we get to rejoice and to see how our investment has returned. Lord, I pray that we would be a church faithful to train up, to disciple, as Josie said, to disciple our children and other people's children, to prepare them for the persecution that will come. And I, I pray that they will be more prepared because of what you have done in this place and through what you have done through your people in this place. And therefore, will have an eternal impact forever and ever. Thank you for giving us that opportunity, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.